Hello, this is Tom Pasello, the ROI guy, and welcome to the Evolvers podcast, sponsored by sales enablement platform provider, Mediafly. Our mission is to provide you with the independent insights, community advice, and tools to guide your sales enablement journey and fuel your professional evolution. My guest today is Udi Lettigore. He is the CMO for Gong, a revenue intelligence platform that you can leverage to capture and understand every customer interaction and then deliver learning, coaching, and insights at scale. And Udi, I use the solution often. It's helped me to expand my coaching capability, give advice on more calls and, and you know get transcripts from those calls and to collaborate with others on customer requests that we get. So I'm a big fan. Thank you for joining me here. And we're here to discuss ways in which to maximize virtual selling opportunities. Evolvers, please welcome Udi Lettigore. So excited to be here, Tom. Thanks for having me. So I know that you know there are some sellers that are chomping at the bit to get back on the road, but all indications are that virtual selling is here to stay. It's going to be the dominant method going forward. What's your take? I, I tend to agree. I think virtual selling is here to stay, even if there will be some business travel that is back later this year, more likely early next year. We're already seeing the field events uh, starting to pop up with some events already scheduled for late this year. I think some mm -hmm. of them might actually happen as either an intimate field event or more likely a sort of hybrid event. Uh, we're also planning for some of those uh, as we see more and more of our communities get, get vaccinated. Uh, that's going to be possible. However, if you look at business travel, here's my take. Uh, exactly one year ago, you know, our lives changed forever. And uh, for the past year, we've all become virtual salespeople. Uh, even if you were used to traveling three or four states each week, uh, we all became virtual. And so unless you've been out of a job for this past year, you probably figured out, at least at the very basic level, how to do virtual selling. And guess what? Your CFO and your CEO have taken notice of that. And so now going back to billing those three martini lunches might be a bigger challenge that you might have expected. And just like CFOs are eyeing some sort of remote work or hybrid work and office model because they really like the savings of millions of dollars that not being in the office has allowed them, they're looking at business travel in the same way. And just traveling for three days to the other side of the country to meet someone for what is essentially a 45 minute meeting just makes even less sense today than it did a year ago. Yeah, so the events I think are gonna come back in a way because we do have a hard time meeting um, new business associates, um, collaborating. I think as well, it's hard to generate leads remotely and engage remotely. So I do think that those events are coming back quicker than the business travel. Um, for the extroverts in the crew, I think they're going to have a harder time than the introverts or the balanced among us who have gotten really used to not being on the road and not dealing with that hassle, but still being very effective in virtual selling. For those who live off the energy of other people and being in the room for them, though, I do think that some virtual selling is a struggle for those extroverted sellers. Look, my, my husband is a doctor here at UCSF. We live in San Francisco, and he's in the next door room sitting in his sweatpants, uh, taking patient calls all day over Zoom. Wow. If 
he can do that and prescribe their medication and treatment, we can sell over Zoom, folks. It's not that much harder. If he's and diagnosing yeah. and treating patients over Zoom, we can sell software over Zoom. It's not impossible, really. The extroverts are then just going to have to find other ways to build energy off of direct connection with people, right? Or figure out a way to do it maybe uh, through the 13-inch monitor. But, um, but, but Tom, let, let me say one more thing about that. You know, when, when we switched to virtual events, and I'll, I'll tie it to back into yeah. uh, remote selling in just a second. When we switched to virtual events, I, I was very concerned initially before we did our first event because I knew that, let's make up a conversion number. Let's say that uh, one out of 10 meet and greets that you do at a, at a field event you can actually turn into a later conversation and sales opportunity. Okay, let's let's say it's it's about ten percent, uh, and pick whatever number you want to to make the point. It won't change. And I thought, well, there's no way we can get that intimate at a virtual event, right? Because we can't have those drinks at the bar, and we we can't just you know be chatting while we're waiting for the presenter to go on. Or if it's a boring presentation, then we chat about it and gossip about it. You can't do that at a virtual event. Uh, but then what I found out is that some of that is true. But if you look at it from a sheer numbers perspective, we can drive five to 10 times more participants at any virtual event that we do compared to the same event that we did in person in town. And I, I have the numbers to prove it. And then even if you assume that the conversion rate that I talked about is half of what it was in a field event, we're still ahead with our numbers. Because even if I only convert 5% and not 10% of those into a, a follow-up conversation and an opportunity, the fact that I met five or 10 times as many people still means that I'm ahead. And I did that at a fraction of the cost. And I don't have to commit a week of my life, leaving my family on the West Coast to travel somewhere else for, for a conference for just a few of those meetings. I can do that while I'm doing my regular work and then go back to still having dinner with my family. So there's so many advantages to remote selling, to virtual events that I, I think they're here to stay for many good reasons. I, I would agree with that. We saw the same exact numbers. And then one of the other advantages that we saw was that because we weren't recording our live events, um, we now have the on-demand content that we then leveraged in follow-up calls, in nurturing, and other um, aspects of marketing that we weren't doing before because we were doing it strictly as a live event, a members-only event. And I think many of us have found ways to do social events tied to the live, uh, the virtual events that are kind of starting to mimic or starting to at least get some participation like you would have at the live events. Those could be concerts. Um, we're doing a live yoga in nice. our next event uh, as a kind of relax uh, Zen moment as part of it. So, you know, I think there's a lot of creativity that marketers are showing to try to keep the engagement up to the level that you would have at a live event. Yeah, and, and I think we and many other companies have, have been doing great at experimenting with formats. We, we've found, you know, different sizes of, of groups are appropriate for different activities. So we've done like live cooking classes with Michelin starred restaurant chefs uh, teaching 25 people how to make some fresh pasta dish. And we joke and we laugh and everyone's got a glass yeah. of wine in their hand. It's the next best thing to having the live experience or doing a live mixology class or holding a live magic session during one of our conferences, uh, having live musicians uh, do a show and support the, the musicians, which are really been devastated this past year by, by loss of income. So there's so many ways that, that you can tie those different experiences together into a new 
hybrid experience, which is just different from what we did live, but it, it doesn't have to be not as good as the live experience. Yeah, I agree with you. Now, pivoting back over to sellers and, and our support of them, uh, when engaging virtually, you know, sellers have certainly figured out how to do virtual selling sessions, scheduling the meeting, starting to work on their presence a little bit, although some need, need to work on their lighting and, you know, think of uh, their being in almost like a studio as opposed to being in their basement or in their garage or in their right. bedroom, right? Which I've seen a few lately still doing that. Um, you know, I think a lot of sellers would think they're doing a good job, but the buyers are not agreeing with that. Uh, I interviewed some folks from Challenger recently, some folks from the Rain Group who had some good research, and both studies they did were post-crisis, and they point to an engagement gap. Sellers are thinking they're doing a great job with virtual selling. We know we're not going back to the way we were, but they've got to get it right. Buyers are not agreeing with that. They're actually quite disappointed in the engagements that sellers are conducting online. What are you seeing? I think the challenge is real. And I think that some companies, uh, you know, just like before the, the COVID, this, this is no surprise and nothing new. Um, some companies are slower to adapt. Some sellers are slower to adapt. Uh, but here's a couple of things that we've seen the winning sales teams doing really, really well. So one thing is to sort of level the playing field and get it as close as possible back to the face-to-face meeting. This might sound like Captain Obvious to some of you, but trust me, not everyone is still doing this, even though we're, we're in the middle of 2021. Turn your darn camera on when you're having sales calls. And I know some companies, especially the, the bigger conservative companies, they're still having audio calls even though every single person I know has a webcam, mm -hmm. like we're recording a podcast right now, but we're still looking each other in the eye, Tom. Yeah. We're, we realize that using cameras is going to make this a better experience for us. And, and that engagement is, is, going to, is going to come through even when our listeners only listen to the audio part of this recording. Um, but here's the thing. What, so a lot of field sellers, they miss sitting in the room with their customer, maybe over lunch, maybe in a conference room and looking in their eyes. So A, you know that they're not being distracted by emails or Instagram or whatever else they're doing instead of watching your wonderful slide deck that you put together for this uh, meeting. <laughs> That's one. Two, you can look in their eyes and you can see that they're puzzled or you know the slightest movement of their eyebrow tells you they didn't quite get what you just said. How are you going to do that if you're only using audio? I mean, you've got to be out of your mind. In, in March of 2021, it's going to be April, two days. You, if you're not using video yet, you've got to be out of your mind. Now, we have the data and we published this. If you go to gong.io slash blog, you'll find at least two very thorough pieces that our data science team put together showing the increased win rates of sellers using video on. It's that simple. It is the only factor that made a difference in those win rates. The video was on. And so for many reasons, two of which I just mentioned, you know your audience can't be distracted because they know that you can see them. Yeah. And two, you can pick up on the visual body language clues of I'm puzzled, this doesn't make sense, like what? All those micro facial expressions that we make and simply do not go through an audio line. So that's probably the biggest tip I can be to, and give to any virtual seller, turn your darn camera on. Yeah, That is number one. Number two, and this I think is a, an improvement that we can make that 
turns these types of sales meeting in a virtual environment to even better than what we had in person. And that is start recording the calls so you can share this information with other people in your organization. Now, here's a common scenario of field sellers prior to the pandemic. You go visit a customer, the customer is complaining about half a dozen things about your product, about the customer success, about technical support, that they're complaining that you, the vendor, uh, as a company, are not listening to their needs and promised this feature and it didn't come through as you expected and you're struggling with that integration or with that deployment. And then you as the seller come back representing the customer and you have to get on the phone with product and with customer success and try to relay information and try to relay the sense of urgency that the customer mm -hmm. told you. But you're getting a lot of you know people turning their back against you at the organization. Well, we'll put that in our Q3 plan. That's not really a priority. I know it's not an ideal experience, but it's the best we can do now. Now imagine, that all those people that you need to relay that information to were flies on the wall during your meeting with the customer. Do you think they could ignore the customer if they heard her speak in her voice saying that they're being forced to look at alternatives because your company is not delivering what they promised? Well, now you can bring them as flies on the wall. If, if you use, and here's a shameless plug, I, I promise not to make too many of these. If you use a revenue intelligence platform like Gong that you could not use as easily in a field sales meeting because it would have been awkward to ask the customer, hey, do you mind if I switch my recorder on right now? Yeah. But as we're doing video conferences, customers have become very accustomed to being recorded and many organizations do that even for uh, compliance and, and other regulatory reasons. So you switch on with consent, you get the call recorded. Now everyone in your organization has access to that call and if you want the, the product people or the engineers to listen to a customer complain about the way they implemented a feature or about a support problem that you need to escalate or about any requests that they have, you simply share that snippet with product, with support, with CS, even with a CEO to show them direct feedback from the customer. So that's an actual upgrade over where we were in field sales. Completely agree. And it's probably one of the most common use cases that I use Gong for is I'm on a call. Um, showing off what the solution can do. Um, there's some great ideas and collaboration that occurs during those calls. And what better way to capture that and the ideas that the customer's coming up with for enhancements or a roadmap request or something else than being able to have that call recorded and be able to send that snippet right to development so they can hear the customer describe exactly what they want firsthand. Uh, or as you said, if there's something that you're stumbling over or the customer's got negative feedback, you can share that always as well. And I, I think that that is something that we did not have and was completely lost um, pre-recording, pre-gong capability and pre-virtual selling. So absolutely, it's a it's top of the mind benefit that I think we get from virtual selling besides the no travel and less wear and tear on my poor old body from sitting on airplanes. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add one more for, for the marketing folks out there in the audience. You know, one of the most popular use cases um, when you don't know how well your campaigns are performing and who's mm -hmm. actually reading your content, who saw that Super Bowl commercial, who listened to that podcast that you sponsored. Uh, I get tagged every day on calls where my salesperson will tag me at like the two minute, 38 second mark saying, hey, Udi, check out this customer rave about our Super Bowl commercial or check out this customer saying that she downloaded that cheat sheet last week. And that gives us great evidence of 
how our campaigns are landing, what's actually being read, what's being used, what people like, what people hate. I get all this feedback and it allows us to iterate and become better much, much faster than if I, if I were driving blind. I think it also helps us collaborate more and feel like when we are hearing feedback from the customer that we as the field representatives often feel sometimes not heard by the organization. This gives us a great way to promote the voice of the people that we're trying to make happy every single day and helps me feel like the team is collaborating with me on that by engaging with them with that direct feedback. What about um, coaching as as another capability? Is that your number three or... Uh, I so, don't want to steal your thunder in terms no, of three three ways that virtual selling is helping. Yeah, you might have guessed that I, I could go on about that one for a while. So, you know, we talk about being remote from our customers during this past year, but that's not the only type of remote going on because many sales teams were used to sitting together on the same sales <laughs> floor with the manager and his, you know, revolving chair being able to eavesdrop on different calls, give someone a pat on the shoulder when needed come stand over their shoulder to, to help them word a, a sensitive email, but, but now we're all away from each other. So we're not only away from our customers, we're away from our colleagues. And especially for entry-level positions like commercial uh, AEs, uh, SDR, CSMs, they don't have that uh, learning ground that they had before to sit and just listen and shadow all these calls around them. Well, for that, again, technology comes to, to our rescue and imagine that you can now binge on libraries of all the best plays of how we talk about competition, how we talk about discounts, how we talk about some other sensitive topic that's come up 200 times already. You shouldn't have to reinvent the wheel there. And managers can now pinpoint exactly where their reps need personalized coaching and help them do that on their one-on-ones. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to go too much on a, on a tangent, but uh, I'll give you an example. Like, before the era of, the, of documenting and being able to collaborate on what actually happened, a lot of the one-on-ones that managers had with their reps were, okay, tell me, where do we stand with this customer? What was the next step that you agreed on? Is that on the calendar? Now, this is mundane stuff that mm -hmm. is a total waste of time if you're spending your management time just fact-checking. Imagine that all of this was available to you with the click of a button and you could actually use that valuable one-on-one -on -one time with your rep strategizing on how do we progress this deal, but both of you come into the meeting knowing the entire history of what happened with that customer because you could get it at a glance from a revenue intelligence system. So virtual selling really benefits from these uh, pieces of technology because some of them are actually a great replacement for sitting all together at the office like we used to and noticing all these things happening in real time. And as you said, way better than that, because there's no way you could get access to as many calls as you now do have access to. I mean, you could is, listen to all of them in an accelerated fashion and be able to pinpoint and coach. Uh, I had a young rep that um, is kind of getting back into selling after a little bit of a hiatus, and she is overselling, um, not being as much a helper and sometimes over-talking customers, other people that are trying to have a conversation. And it was good to be able to just send her snippet examples of that. Instead of pointing it out, I'm like, hey, here's, here's what I was talking about that you might want to work on. Listen to this point in the call, this point in the call, and this point in the call. What did you think of that? And you know, sure enough, she can hear firsthand 
the issue. Um, I, I mean, another... to me, it's amazing that, you know, if you look at business functions like marketing and finance, for years, they've been working with these sophisticated analytical systems. If Absolutely. I'm a marketer and I can't tell you how my homepage is converting, like to the second digit after the decimal point, if I if I don't know that, I'm probably not in the right profession right now. Mm -hmm. If if I don't test most of my email subject lines before I send them out to 100,000 people, knowing which one's going to perform better, I'm probably not doing my job well. And and same goes for finance. You know, they're, yeah. they're not using guesswork and hunches to guess how our cash flow is doing, right? Yeah, they actually no, have sophisticated forecasting tools. Yeah, yeah. Somehow sales were allowed to go on in this almost medieval age way of doing things of, yeah, I've got, let, let's just use, you know, best guesses and, and art of punches. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And, and you can see, of course, that the winning sales team today are already using these these systems to, to get ahead of the game. And as one of our largest uh, customers recently said, you know, to, to not be using revenue intelligence in 2021 is simply irresponsible if you're a, a revenue leader. Yeah, I think that's what a great testimonial that customer just gave you. You know, one of the other things that I love that you said is, you know, the best plays. And that is another area where we use it really well. Uh, we've got another seller on the team who is expert at setting the stage of what we heard in the prior meeting, as well as making sure that there's a set of next steps at the end of every call. And, you know, it's great to be able to cut those snippets and share them with the team as a best practice. So for coaching of negative behavior, but reinforcing of positive behavior, I find that as a huge um, capability to be able to pick my favorite spots and calls and then share it with that person and then share it with their manager and then they share it with the team we we do that all the time and in a very internal public way so um we'll we'll share over slack uh in in an internal like all hands channel all the best moments of reps getting um uh commended by by customers and it could be like someone's on a call and uh a rep is just telling us how much they appreciate the the unique SDR outreach and it was so personalized and really hit home. Mm. And so we'll share that 20 second snippet so everyone can hear it and give credit to that SDR. Or we'll share uh, what, what we get on a daily basis, like you know, kudos on our customer success team and the support team that they, they solve issues in such a wonderful way that creates raving fans. We'll share those snippets internally. Imagine what that would do to your team to have that culture where it's so easy to share the actual voice of the customer. Because if you don't have a system like that, then yes, yeah, someone could technically sit down and if they were on the call, transcribe it and, and send it, but but nobody's going to do that at scale. But but once you have all of that recorded, you, you can do that at scale and it just creates a much tighter bond, especially as we're all working remote this last year, creates a tighter bond that we're really a team working towards a common target. Yeah, I will definitely do that. I'm just sending kudos just manually and I will use that uh, technique. I think that's great advice. Really best, best moments channel, I think is wonderful. When it comes to the gaps, um, so you spoke about three ways to kind of overcome that, which was get as close as possible to being live with video, recording the calls, and make sure that you're um, kind of, you've got access to the information that's being shared so that that can be shared with the team and then use it for coaching. So you can kind of extend the capability of the sales team with corrective feedback as quickly as possible. And then reinforcement of best practices, three great tips. So the three issues that were pointed out in the engagement gap, 
The number three issue was in virtual meetings as opposed to live meetings, in particular, folks don't feel like buyers don't feel like sellers are listening to them. Mm -hmm. How do you think we overcome that? I mean, one is the video. I think the video is a great tip because you and I have had eye contact through this entire podcast. Obviously, you can't see that by just looking at the audio, but it's invaluable because we're cueing each other constantly. Um, when you've got something that I agree with, I'm shaking my head or you're, you've right. got your hand raised when you want to interrupt. Um, there are so many cues there, but a lot of times I've sat in sales calls and the seller is so intent on taking notes that they're not able to listen. Yet, if they knew the call was recorded with a revenue intelligence system, all right, yes. sales pitch, right? But it's true. Now, you know, everything is recorded and it's annotated so that you've got not only the recording, but the annotation to go with it. That That's entirely true. I think there's even a, a, a bigger story there, which is, you know, it's a well-known fact that you can't really improve what you cannot measure. Mm -hmm. And ask an average salesperson, what is the percentage of your talk time within an average sales call? Um, most of them will get it wrong. We all speak way more than we think. Mm -hmm. This is a fact. We, we typically see um, first-time users of a system like Gong starting at something 85% of the call they're dominating with their monologues, pitching and asking questions and showing a demo and setting next steps and making all sorts of assumptions. And most of us start with a ridiculously high talk time. But, but you can't measure it without recording your calls over several calls and, and getting this measured. Now, once you get that measured, you can actually start tracking progress and be more aware that, okay, as soon as this call is over, I'm going to see my actual talk time. Uh, I better start reducing it now and shutting up more and making this call more interactive. Now, interactivity can be unpacked into many different metrics. Uh, for example, how many times we switched speakers during the call. The most engaging calls the customers want more of are calls where I don't go on a seven minute monologue, but I actually speak for maybe 40 seconds and then I shut up and I let you say something. And the more we do that back and forth ping pong, which can be easily measured once the call is recorded with the right technology, the more we do that ping pong, the more I let you speak, the more you felt heard and the more likely you are to want a next call with me, let alone buy something from me. So these are all things that as soon as you realize the power of this sort of technology, it can actually tell me on every call, what was my talk time? Show me a chart of my progress over the last three to six months, how I've reduced my talk time, which we see clearly happen with almost every Gong user just because we're now measuring it. So now you're like, oh shoot, I don't wanna see that I'm talking 80% of the time. And as managers, you can set um, milestones for your reps. Like I want everyone under 60% on a discovery call. Like you want to hear your customers talk. Yeah. And, and so you can do that. We can measure the number of questions. We can measure the number of interactions between uh, speakers, et cetera, et cetera. So all of these things, as soon as you can start measuring them, you can start improving them. And the yeah. result is of course, customers that feel listened to and they want to come back and meet you again. Exactly. And then the other two issues, just to kind of get a quick read from you on them, discovery of my concerns, wants, and needs was the second highest gap. And then related to that is pivoting. So once you know what they want and need, making the ROI case, being the ROI guy, this hurts me, making the ROI case for the proposed solutions clear to me. 
And the Ring Group emphasized that clear was the right term to look at, that the ROI case was sometimes being made, but just not clear. So talk about that from a CMO perspective and then a revenue intelligence perspective. How do you improve both of those elements in virtual compared to live? So I think a part of the problem with, with those issues that the customers raised in the survey is that salespeople tend to come into a meeting with little to no context of who they're talking to, what their business pains are and what they're looking to see in your solution. So they end up giving a general demo, which is kind of shallow and touches on a bit of everything. So you can see here where we can do this on the user interface and we go into this part and can also do this, can also do that. Oh, by the way, what problem were you trying to solve again? <laughs> uh, I've, I've over oversimplified it just a little bit and probably exaggerated, but, but I'm sure we've all heard those demos where you're sitting there cringing because it's clear that the salesperson isn't touching on the real pains of the customer. Now, imagine that all the sales calls are now being recorded and you can actually have the rep listen to all the previous conversations that the customer had with an SDR. So you don't have to grill the poor customer by asking them the third time, all the same questions again, mm -hmm. you actually heard them touch on their business problems because the SDR did a decent job in the first call. So you can start with that on your second call. And by the third call, you're already showing them a very specific and customized demo touching on their one major use case. You're not showing them the dozen bells and whistles that your mm -hmm. user interface has. You're showing them the one business case that really matters to them. And then uh, once you're successful, hopefully they also bought the product, they move on to customer success. Well, guess what? Customer success now has access to all those calls and that handover is much smoother as well. So they can onboard and deploy the system with the customer touching on the exact use case that the customer cares about. And again, this technology is at reach. A lot of customers, a lot of customers are using it. Many are yet are not using it yet, but this is becoming the standard because you know, as we as consumers expect a certain level of uh, of service and and professionalism when we buy on Amazon, right? When we buy on Instacart, we know that they know all of our history. We hate yeah. repeating it. You know, if yeah. someone asks me for my social security number more than once in a series of handovers, I get frustrated. Like you just asked me that. I just typed that in literally moments yeah. before you got on the phone. Why are you asking me this again? Instead, I want you to anticipate what I'm looking for and what I need and give me exactly. suggestions. I want you to have my full history there so that it's just a point and a click away so I can reorder or do whatever I want to do next. So yeah, those consumer experiences are now- if we expect that from Comcast. Why are we not providing that same experience in our B2B interactions? Just yeah. think about that discrepancy. It's ridiculous. No, we need to. Yeah. The standards are there now, right? They've been set. And the companies that do deliver that experience and that continuity of knowledge and uh, insight into the customer and anticipation, I think, is going to be a key as well. We covered a lot of ground on revenue intelligence and kind of how to leverage it to improve virtual selling. And like I said, I'm a big fan of the solution. Use it a lot gets used back to me so I can be informed of any calls I'm not on, what's happening, which is great. I love that visibility. What's the one piece of advice you'd like to leave the Evolvers with today? I think what's become key in this past year that you know some smart teams, whether they're sellers or marketers, figured out even sooner, but, but now has left everyone with no choice but to figure it out, is that companies and teams and 
professionals who are winning in this age, and this is going to continue to be a requirement, the number one thing that they can do very quickly is adapt and change to the situation. Um, companies and teams and individuals who thought that what worked yesterday will also work tomorrow, they got a really loud wake-up call this last year. And I don't know a business that's succeeded in the past year without making some significant changes to how they do business. And this goes for people's own careers. Someone who was used to being on the road is now forced to become a virtual reality. If you're still like marking days off your calendar until when you can go back uh, uh, to being a roadie, that, that's probably not the way you're going to win the next part of your career. And as a company, I mean, most companies couldn't afford to wait that long. They either changed and thrived or they didn't change and they they went out of business in this last year, as, as many did. You know, For some businesses, it's, it's been harder than than others. It's, it's been heartbreaking to see so many professions in hospitality and travel and entertainment just completely go bust because it was too difficult or demanding for them to, to pivot. But then you're seeing a lot of businesses that with, with some effort managed to pivot or enhance the way they were doing things to not sit back and wait because we can't control when this pandemic is going to end. We can't control if and when business travel is going to come back or conferences are going to come back, but we can control what are we offering our customers now in terms of the product that they need right now to solve their problems, the types mm -hmm. of service and the selling, or in their case, the buying experience that they want to go through right now. And that is within our control and we can change all of that. And the winning teams are already changing it. And it, it's not too late to join that bandwagon. I completely agree. Um, you know, we call the evolvers, the evolvers for a reason. There uh, you we're go. All here to adapt. We all have a growth mindset. And that's part of the reason why we invite smart folks like you Udi, to join us. And uh, I completely agree with you. I think the more that you're willing to change and adapt, the better you're going to be. I think the more you're shaping the selling experience that you're delivering and the buyer experience that's received, that's where the advantage is nowadays. A lot of solutions that we're selling have been commoditized. Uh, some of us have been lucky enough to create new spaces, but it's amazing how quickly even new spaces tend to get commoditized. So if you're able to, as a seller or marketer, deliver an incredible experience and, a, and an elevated one to your audience, I, I think it's much more about being a great producer and uh, and kind of almost like a TV production facility than it is um, being a, a seller anymore. So, um, Udi, thank you so much for joining us on the Evolvers. Thanks for today. having me, Tom. This was wonderful. Yeah. Evolvers, keep evolving. <laughs>